0: Welcome back to another episode of the Zell's podcast. I'm your host, Rocky Snyder. This week, I've got Brandon Joyner, the Dallas Mavericks assistant strength coach in the house with me. We're going to talk all about strength, conditioning, and what it's like to be part of the Mavericks organization. I hope you enjoy it. Follow us on Instagram at Rocky underscore Snyder. Click the subscribe button. You know how it goes. Tell some friends and enjoy the show. So Brandon, you know, just before I hit the record button, we're talking about the Dallas Mavericks organization and and what, what you feel about it. Coming from Sacramento Kings and now with the Dallas Mavs, like what's you you said you felt at home on day one. What's what's that all about?
1: Um I, I think that, you know, a, across the organization, not just in in my department, but um they've done a really good job of of focusing on hiring people who fit well. Um, so I mean I came in the door and, and I knew probably only one person here um, from, from previous experience. And, but it was just like open arms day one. We worked together really well. I mean, we didn't even have our first official staff meeting for for weeks after I first got here, but things were already flowing, you know, flowing smoothly. So I I just think it's a, it's a great group of people. It's the right balance of, of, you know, enjoying your job, having fun, but also showing up and and working hard and trying to win. And I think it's just, everybody kind of comes in with an understanding of, you know, when it's time to work, we're we're all in, and then when it's time to play, we're also all in. So, um, just a great environment to be in.
0: Well, you, you said something that struck a chord with me is that they you, they don't necessarily hire talent; they hire the right fit. So, uh, obviously, everyone they hire has are, is talented or skillful and knowledgeable in, in the way they need it. But that's not really what you're getting at. What what makes you just you know, if you can be modest enough, but what makes you the good fit?
1: Um, I I don't know. I think a lot of it's on a, on a personality level. Um, you know, I think that there's, there's many different kinds of coaches that are all able to be successful in their own way. Um, but I think it's, it is really nice to have a a staff that kind of complements each other and in the way that they interact with the athlete, the way that they interact with each other and coaches, um, I also think it, it's, we have a very complimentary staff in terms of training styles. You know, um, one of the things about the NBA that I think is a lot different than working in college a lot of times is, is that you have, you know, a group of 15 to 17 guys and they're ranging age from 18 to, you know, 40 years old, potentially. And they've all trained a different amount. They've all trained with different people. They all fly out in the summer and go train with a different guy. And so there's it, I think it is nice that we have a staff full of, you know, different training styles. It's, it's there's not one unified thing that we think is right. You know, we have a couple touch points that we we try to keep in unity, but other than that, um, you know, you're encouraged to be yourself and, and train guys the way you train guys, and and then you know, different players are going to dra- gravitate to dr- different coaches because they like to train that way. So, um, just gives you very natural re- relationships with athletes. You're never you know, forced to, to sell a message that you don't really believe in because you're, you're not selling a message. You're you're just telling them what you think. Um, and that's really just the way that everything operates. Everybody here, they, they want you just to be you. Um, and so I, I think that for me, it was a good fit, um, coming in just because, you know, I, I have my way of training and relating to the guys. I have my certain energy that I bring and, you know, um, and other people on the staff it's have different, but at the same time, we all kind of come together and accept each other as we are and, and we like each other to just be us. And, and so I think it makes, just allows you to be in your own skin, so.
0: Oh, that's great. I'd love to talk about more about that because uh, like I had Nick Winkleman on uh, and he's, he's the author of the uh, the language of, of coaching. And we talked about you know, coaching in certain ways, but not about style like coaching style or training style or training approach, I would love to know, like, hey, how would you describe your training style, your coaching philosophy? What is it? If you could, I, I don't know if you want to just throw out adjectives or really get deeper into it, like where and where does it come from? So your your training style and and the origin of your training style, how has it formed to be what it is today?
1: Um, I, I think in terms of, you know, not the X's and O's, just the way that I, I interact with athletes and, and even the way I interact with my fellow staff members is is I don't like to um, formalize too much. You know, think for me, everything is conversational. It's a flowing conversation back and forth with my athletes. Um, you know, I, I don't feel like I need to, to dictate what we're doing. I'm more of a guide. Um, and so for me, it's it's a lot of talking back and forth with my guys, trying to get feedback of how how things feel, what exercises have worked for you in the past, what exercises do you feel like have worked poorly in the past, you know, what things do you like to do, what do you hate to do, and then flexing around that and and being able to to kind of meet people in the middle, but also then from the middle try to guide them in the direction that I that I think is is best. Um, so that's kind of how I relate to athletes in general. Um, you know, I'm, I've am i been a, a hoop head since who who knows how long. So for me, like I I very much sometimes come off almost as one of the players. I talk a lot of crap, probably more than, than I should. Um, and, and there's certain guys that, that they're into that and they like that. And there's, there's also certain guys that they don't love that. And that's fine. Those aren't the guys I work with. Um, so so I think that that's kind of how I relate to athletes. And then from an X and an O O's, O's standpoint, um, I would say that like, so I I have a background as, as an ATC. So I I do take things from, um, kind of a very biomechanics driven approach. Um, I would say on the scale of like your, your super sport specific coaches, all the way to your, your super old school coaches, I probably fall in the middle, further toward the old school side with a sprinkle of specificity instead of vice versa. Um, so, you know, generally guys who like to train with me are guys who like to lift um, or maybe they don't like to lift, but they they're the guys that get into, you know, feeling strong. Um, you know, I do probably a little bit more plyometrics work than some coaches. And and so some guys enjoy that. Some guys are, are you know, terrified of doing any kind of plyometrics during the season and stuff like that. So uh, we balance that. But those those would be some of the things that I think make me me um as far as like where it all comes from I uh so I was I was a really young graduate so I started I started college I was still 17 so I graduated took my first job right out right out of college and I was uh younger than like half my team and I was like ultra 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 professional back then like I wanted to be seen as like older than I really was and and try to relate to guys like that and um i remember i had a conversation with a player because i would never tell anybody what my age was I would, like you couldn't find out and finally I, I was alone with a guy and he was he was like look man like you can tell me like i i know you're not that old you can really tell me and i told him and he was like damn like you are young he's like but like we don't really care about that he's like you you work hard you you try to help us out you do a really good job with us like we don't care about all that stuff and um that kind of was was part of what changed me to be like, you know, just, just be you. And if they don't like you, it's okay. You don't have to be the best coach for everybody. I think that a lot of times we want to be the the greatest coach every guy has ever had. And it, and it's not, it's not even humanly possible. There's certain guys that we're going to be really great coaches for. There's other guys we won't be as a great a coach for, and we can adapt and try to become better and be pretty good, but you'll never be the perfect guy for them because you're not the perfect guy for them. So, or, so I kind of, that's, that's my approach with you guys.
0: So the the cool thing about the NBA, many cool things, but uh, comparing it to say like the NFL is it, uh, in terms of the, the number of coaches, strength coaches, ATs, and, and assistants and so on, they're relatively the same, only that you're dealing with uh, less than 20 guys. So yeah. the, 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 the instruction is, is so much more, personalized in depth, I would say. And, and you've got so much more support. So I'm curious uh, how many strength coaches are on the Mavericks. Uh,
1: So we have one of the biggest staffs in the league. Um, Generally anytime, depending, you know, road home, we have like four to five strength coaches um, all working with the players. So, so we only have, you know, generally three to four guys that we're really mainly responsible for. We work with everybody but um, but our primary responsibility is is generally three or four guys. So we can really get down to the nitty gritty with each guy.
0: That's practically private coaching, private training. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. Okay. So then that's, that's awesome. First of all, that you have so much more of a team approach, not only on the court, but off the court, not only at home, but away. Uh, But so when it comes to program design, I know that you've got to stay in a certain parameters, maybe they're going to say, okay, this is what we need to do from all perspectives, but I'm going to give you the hall pass to figure out how you got, you're going to get these three players to the point I need them to be at. Is that how this is working for you?
1: That's exactly how it works. It's
0: uh, no way.
1: Yeah. So Jeremy gives us kind of some main points that, that we need to cover. There are certain things that we we have to have in there for our guys in terms of our tendon protocols and, and some of the testing protocols that we do, but outside of, of those main points, we're given the flexibility to to generally do what we need to do with the guys. Um, we'll have, we'll have scheduled team lifts or, or days that we're we, the players have to be in there lifting. But other than that, it's, it's coordinating with your guys. You know, you might have a guy that is playing, you know, 35, 36, 37, 38 minutes a night. And you say, okay, well, we're gonna get our two lifts in this week, and that's it. And it even may be with those two, those guys. You say, you know, we're getting two lifts, but one of them is gonna be basically active recovery. And then on the other end of the spectrum, you may have a guy that's getting no minutes, and you're saying, okay, we're we're gonna get four or five different lifts. We're gonna get multiple conditioning sessions, et cetera, et cetera. But the you you kind of are given the freedom to make your own decisions. And then you know, Jeremy is kind of the check and balance of making sure they make sense. You know, we'll get we'll get uh, guidance in terms of hey. We have a really dense schedule coming up. Let's make sure that our lifts reflect that in this way. Or right now we have a great training opportunity. For example, like next week, we're about to start one of our longest home stretches of the season. So we're going to have some great training opportunities, not a lot of back-to-backs. Let's plan for that by, you know, let's push harder here. Let's pull back more here. But um, in terms of the details, you know, we're we're really given a lot of freedom to to figure out what our guys need and, and, and execute it.
0: I imagine you're using some type of training software where it can be easily accessible for all of the professionals on this support crew, whether it's the head strength conditioning coach or the AT or the PT, or for that matter, even a performance nutritionist or your chef to see here's what's going on. But in terms of the training program, is that how it is? Like you put it together, you you plug in what you want to do for the lifts and tendon protocol, flexibility, mobility, biometrics and all that and then your your boss comes in looks it over and going yeah that's cool or you know what let's let's try and shift this around i'd like to see more of this or that is that how that works also
1: yeah that's that's generally the relationship is is you know we we plan it out and he comes back takes a look say hey you know have you considered this have you thought about doing this um and then we come together from that you know make make adjustments based on room space you know it may be something like the other day we had a lift where we had everybody in all at once and so now it's like all right we got to plan around the fact that rack space is going to be limited floor space and so now it's come together what are you doing today what are you doing today how can we make those things line up so we're not tripping all over each other um so uh but that's that's generally what it is and then we put it all back into our our different databases so everybody is on the same page we send out daily reports to to kind of catch everybody up and Make sure everybody knows what's going on um, with each guy. So, but that is that is generally how it works. Yep. Yeah.
0: And then can you give me something uh, somewhat specific, like that you have grown aware of in and improved your your program design uh, by what you just described? Like your boss comes back and says, hey, let's do this to that, or I'd like this. Any any elements recently, or like, oh yeah. Oh, right on. Okay. That that's good. I hadn't considered that.
1: Um, I, I think it's it's not so much uh, general concepts but I, I still exercises all my all the time from my coworkers. um you know we we bounce stuff off each other all the time we'll have hey i'm I'm trying to figure out because because everything for me is is problem solving we're, we're trying to figure out this player has x problem we are trying to solve it I don't have the tool in my toolbox what can I do for this so a lot that's i think that's the biggest impact especially with our environment that that i've that it's had on me is being able to to bounce ideas off of everybody on the staff we're always talking through like through stuff every morning before the guys get in we're looking at hey what are you doing with your guys oh i like that actually you know i think that works better for what i'm trying to accomplish with this guy i'm going to pick that out of your program and put it in mine or or vice versa so um, so that that would be probably a, a better example
0: and are you guys kind of tight within the strength conditioning coaching? I mean, you guys meet oh, yeah. on a regular basis?
1: Yeah. So, so, I mean, we, we, it's kind of the same as, as what I was saying earlier. We don't, we don't do a lot of official sit down we have a meeting at 8am and everybody hears the agenda and all that stuff. It's more, we come in, we're there together and we talk, talk those things over just kind of naturally pretty much every morning. And then every day after uh, you know, our, our staff is super tight knit. We, we, Play a lot of pickleball we shoot together we lift together so after everybody leaves um we you know me and one of our other strength coaches that's also at, AT will practice our techniques on each other after everybody leaves so um we spend a, an enormous amount of time together to pick each other's brains
0: and how much of your athletic training background do you implement into the strength conditioning like are you doing the taping or are you doing uh the, the different elements that the athletic training staff does do you how does that carry over or do you just go you know what that's my background, but these guys are the ones that are dealing with that. I'll throw in my two cents, but uh, when it comes to Kinesio taper or, or anything else, I'm just going to say, hey, just go see them
1: um here I've, and even in sacramento as well i was, I was really encouraged to to go ahead and use it be be another set of hands um and here you know I have a really symbiotic relationship with our athletic training staff i'll if I see the tables are full and their hands are full and someone wants treatment, they'll, I'll set up another table out in the weight room and they'll come and get treatment from me. Um, I, I think that an area that has really been super beneficial for me is is one, my evaluation of guys, um, being able to take guys on the table and do table evaluations, feel their tissues, feel the restrictions, be able to look through that stuff. And, and then also going from that, to me, I, I think I can be a lot more effective with my hands than I can be with a foam prescribing a foam roller or a lacrosse ball or whatever. So as long as I, I have the, you know, the time and, and the manpower, if I, as long as I'm not, you know, dealing with two or three other guys that need me, you know, instead of prescribing, you know, I got a guy that I'm trying to work on his foot mobility and st- instead of saying, all right, go roll on that lacrosse ball for 30 seconds. No, come on, hop on the table or, or hop on this bench, hang your foot off and, and let's, you know, let's mobilize the tissue. Let's do that. And then send you back into your workout. Um, so that's, you know, that's encouraged here that they ask us all the time, you know, please, like, don't feel like you're stepping on toes. Because the first time that that I did work on a guy here, I came to the ATs and I was like, look, I didn't, I don't want to step on any toes. And they're like, no, like, there's not enough of us as it is. Like, you see how many guys are on the table, jump in. <laughs> so it's been great. That's
0: fabulous. That's really nice. So I'm, I, I love uh just dive in deep about assessments whether it's joint by joint or integrative whole body closed chain open chain like when you get somebody on the table when you get one of your players on there what are some of the go-to assessments that you're you're kind of going through
1: um i mean i usually keep it pretty simple try to keep it quick um because it i mean time is a, is usually an issue with that yeah. because of the fact that if i've got somebody on the table there's probably somebody waiting for me in the weight room um so I try not to take too much time, but we'll generally just go joint by joint. Look at the foot, look at the ankle, test range of motion, test you know hip rot- hip rotation, internal, external. Look at leg length disrupt- discrepancies, and you know maybe test lat length test or something like that. Simple. Um, go through, look at all those things. If there's something that can be quickly corrected, do a test, retest, and then you know send them on their way. Or if there's something specific we're working on, like for example. Um, we've got you know a couple guys that are working on more of their intrinsic foot strength and and the way that their toes move and stuff like that so with those guys a lot of times i'll take them on the table do some work on their foot do their intrinsic exercises right then and then go back to whatever else we were working on um so kind of just get short-term range of motion changes from our soft tissue work on the table put it into action try to try to get it you know get them to now perform our movements while they're in that better position. And then like in a perfect world, if a day is going really well, then it may be something where, okay, we start to see something in, in the weight room, see something in an exercise that I don't like. Let's hop back on the table for a second, get another short-term change and then continue our workout rather than just trying to QQQ Q, Q a guy out of those positions. When in fact he, he can't achieve those positions anyway, because he's got some sort of restriction that, like, so I'm wasting my time. So I'd rather get that guy and be able, you know, kind of I'll give a shout out to one of my mentors, Jazz Randois over at, at with Sacramento coming from Altus, kind of going with their model of performance therapy of test, treat, implement, retest, treat, implement, and just, and just keep that cycle going throughout a session.
0: Love that. Love that. And, you know, uh, from my my own approach, I won't say my it's not like I'm I'm coining it or anything the the approach that I have been recently doing a lot more of is along the lines of what you were just saying obviously assess and reassess and the things that you do in the middle are going to give you the information that you need whether it's effective or not but typically uh can we get some soft tissue work in an area if I see somebody not moving the appropriate way and cueing and 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 that's not really getting to where they need to be. Something's not firing up. Some joints not moving in the proper sequencing and so on. Let's go into some soft tissue work, whether it's foam roll or other devices, other other approaches. Then let's get into mobilization. Can we get those joints to actually move appropriately? And then can we load that tissue? So it's basically you know, foam rolling, mobilization, and loading, and that is just, I got to tell you, that is like the trifecta, and then you bring them back into that position, and now things are lighting up, they have access to get into this joint, and then the neuromuscular system starts firing, so it's really encouraging to hear, you know, that whole approach that you're taking, and so I'm curious, though, you, you mentioned leg length discrepancy, and that's something that we hear a lot of. People come into training facilities and they are told by their chiropractor or somebody else, I've got one leg longer than the other. Now, I've got my own thoughts about that, but you're looking at somebody while they're laying on the table, you match up their heels, one's a little bit closer to the hip than the other. What does that tell you?
1: Well, I, I think you have to establish whether it's, it's true or, or if it's just a postural. Thing. So a lot of times what we'll do is, is do some kind of like a PRI reset or something like that retest. Now we usually don't have one. But if it, if we have a guy that we know, because obviously, once you've gotten a chance to retest some of these guys and, and look at that stuff, you know who has a true one, you know who doesn't, right, who's postural and who's not. But it can be a, a really telling thing if you have someone who you know does not have a true leg length discrepancy. They get on the tech table and now they have a leg length discrepancy. Okay, now I need to look up the chain. What, what is causing this? You know, let's look at the hips. Let's look at what's going on up there and see if if we have something that we can quickly fix there so that we're not training in this bad position that we know doesn't really exist. So, um, you know, the, there's only been a couple guys that I've come across that have a true leg length discrepancy. In Most terms of, of like femoral possible. length?
0: Like in yeah. terms of actually skeletal length, exactly. not necessarily insertion distance into the uh, with the acetabulum or or the femur, right? We're not talking about socket positioning yeah. or pelvic um tilting or anything else. You're actually talking about the actual bone length discrepancy.
1: Yeah, a true bone length discrepancy. Only come across a couple. Most of them, it it is either socket positioning or it's pelvic positioning or something like that. And so, but it, it is a telling test. If you have someone that, like I said, you know it's not skeletal, it's easy to see. You look at it and you say, okay, well, this is a quick indicator of, it took me five seconds, something's wrong today. What do we need to look at, so.
0: Yeah, yeah. How's that affecting mass management uh, when they're upright? And then if you're gonna be loading into them, what do you need to do to help offset that? That's that's good. Uh, it It's interesting that you've got your background as an ATC. By the way, where where did you, become athletic trainer? Where'd you get certified?
1: Um, so I went to undergrad at Valdosta State University, um, which back then was, was probably the best, um, undergrad program in, in Georgia, but now they've changed the ATC to a, to a master's only degree, which was a bad decision, but, um, Why? What?
0: What? What? wait, wait, you just can't breeze over that. You got to explain why is that a bad decision?
1: Well, you know, I think that Being an athletic trainer, you could say the same thing about being a strength coach is something that um, experiential knowledge is is much more impactful than book knowledge. So what has happened, and and you can see it in what's going on hiring athletic trainers right now, it's really hard to find athletic trainers because because why would I go and pay for a master's degree when being an AT doesn't pay that much? So Instead, what am I going to do? I'm going to go be a PT if I'm interested in that stuff. So I'm going to go be a PT because now it takes me just as long, almost, and just as much money, almost, to get paid teacher salary. You know, so why, why would I do that? So you're seeing a lot of people leaving the field. You're seeing athletic trainers come out a lot less ready because I was I was doing evals and, and rehabs independently as, as a junior, you know, in, in college. Versus these people aren't getting to see their first, you know, they're not feeling their first positive anterior drawer until, you know, they're a grad student or maybe until they're in the field and they they're already working and they've never felt, you know, a positive test in their life. You know, so it's I think that athletic training is one of those things that that what we learn in the books is is just a baseline for everything we need to do, but we need to be good with our hands. We need to be good with all these things. So if we waste our time by being an undergraduate student and just learning general studies or whatever you know pre-med or whatever it is and then we don't get our first taste of athletic training experience until we're in grad, stu- grad school you know I think it makes us worse athletic trainers I'll also say that another thing that like when they initially were talking about passing that legislation within the NATO BOC like that I was like this is so dumb is right? How many athletic trainers do we depend on or did we back then that were GAs, right? Especially in college, like you, you're you not having full-time athletic trainers for every sport at a school that's got 30 sports. You, you've got GAs covering half of them, right? So, but if they don't have their certification or any experience to start their master's program, you're, you can't legally let them be a GA and cover a sport on their own. So now you've taken all the cheap labor, flush it down the toilet. And those that those are super valuable experiences because you actually get to be on your own and doing stuff instead of having you know a clinical director over you telling you no, you were incorrect, fix this, do that. Like you you need to be able to be in a position where there's something on you. You have to, you know, make those mistakes and learn on your own. But you know, I, I don't think it's changing because they're trying to be like PTs because they think that if we're more qualified, we'll you know it'll drive pay up but that's not what has happened at all they're keeping pay the same and instead they're just drying up our positions and changing them to pt positions so yeah that's that's neither here i i, I didn't mean wow to way, but, no uh, <laughs>
0: no i'm happy to hear that we don't t- we don't get a chance to hear that side of it so yeah that's really fascinating uh, it's so, it's interesting yeah. with the with the desire for more knowledge comes a reduction in the field and a reduction in experiential learning so yeah, quite, quite interesting indeed. So um, I just back to the Mavs here, and you've got a few players, and how did you, how were they selected for you, or did you select these players, or how does that work? That Does your boss kind of match you up with the personalities of the players that think will do well with you?
1: What's yeah, like? so Jer- Jeremy kind of tries to match you up with guys who are going to, from a personality standpoint, mess with you, but also from a, a need standpoint, um, hopefully mess with you, mess with you. So you know, guys that either are going to respond well to your training style, or you know, in in my case, being an ATC, guys who maybe have you know need some extra soft tissue, guys who maybe have an injury history that that needs to be you know kept close eye on. You know, it's it's helpful to have them with, have them with me versus you know somebody else maybe. Um, so he tries to match that up. And then the, the great thing is, you know, I think that there's around here is we just want everything to work well. So if it's not working, if it's, if it's not a good fit, we'll just switch. You know, it's, there's no, there's no, nobody's feelings are hurt. It's kind of just like, all right, well, you know, actually I think you'd be better with this guy. Can you take this guy on or, or whatever it is. So, um, so he kind of guides that and then we give him feedback on how the players are doing. He gives us feedback, what he thinks from what he's seeing with with us working with him is it is it going well is it going bad and then we you know make our flexible decisions based off that but like I said we we have those guys that we're responsible for but we work with everybody um you know there's there's not a guy that guy that I haven't had some kind of interaction with in the weight room whether it's during an activation you know we make you know things may get loaded down pregame activations you got everybody in there everything's going going at once I'll take somebody else's guy they will take mine and and all that stuff so it's it's pretty pretty smooth it's just more so from a programming standpoint saying okay you need to you need to make sure that everything is ready and prepared for this guy
0: sure yeah okay so with that and your background as an ATC as well as your CSCS correct Mm -hmm. yeah you got them both so let's talk about common injuries within the NBA. We got inversion sprains. You've got high ankle sprains. You've got um, high hamstring pulls. Probably low back. What what are the other things you're dealing with?
1: Um, those those would be the main ones. I mean, you you see a, a decent amount of, of groin injuries, adductor stuff um, pop up sometimes. Um, obviously, you have the the bigger things that the Achilles and the the ACLs and stuff like that, that obviously you don't wish on anybody. Um, that was, so that would be the you, main
0: one. How do you bulletproof? Like, what's your approach then? These guys, they've got this recurring thing going on, whether it's um, instability uh, around the ACL, which is going to increase the likelihood of a recurring uh, injury, and we don't want that happening, or, um, you know, this guy keeps coming down from the boards and off a rebound and rolling his ankle, standing stepping on somebody else, Like what what's your approach? Um, I mean,
1: I I think that I approach things mostly from that biomechanical standpoint first. So, So generally, if we've got we're talking about the ACL, right, and we've got a guy that we've determined it's we're saying that it's, you know, the typical he's a quad dominant athlete. He needs more posterior chain development, yada, 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 yada. One of the things I look at is, all right, well, you know, a lot of these guys, they are not they do not have. Weak hamstrings, as we've just labeled them. So why is it that he's not able to to get enough leverage with that hamstring to save to save himself from getting anterior translation of that knee? So what what's going on? So now we need to look elsewhere. Why is the hamstring not getting enough leverage? So it's probably something pelvic. It might be something at the ribs, even higher up. So um, I don't kind of try to get too focused in on any one injury and say, you know, how do we, how we prevent that? It's more so how can we optimize everything posturally and then load it in a bunch of different positions loaded at a bunch of different speeds and a different, a bunch of different magnitudes of movement and, and then get our guys ready and prepared to have as many movement strategies as possible. So that when it's game time and you get caught in this position, you've been there some before. Um, and then just, you know, making guys stronger in general, so, you know, we, we say strength is protective in, in a way, right? We want to have enough strength and force production to be able to save ourselves. So being able to make guys who are generally strong and then also being able to work on work on those positions and have guys very good in many different patterns. So we're training through a full range of motion. We're training through a partial range of motion. We're training fast. We're training slow. Um, you know, We're training long ground contact times, short ground contact times, single leg, double leg. We want to have as much movement variability as we can, but we want to be doing it really well mechanically. So looking at, you know, you know, looking at the feet when they're doing these things, what's happening at the feet. Are we, are we, do we have stable feet? Do we have, are we all over the place? Do we have collapsing arches? Do we, are we able to get, you know, good stiffness? Do we have a, a good profile of stiffness or are we super, super relaxed? Either way, let's make sure that we're able to do the other thing as well. You know, we don't want to just be stiff and tight. We need to be able to be stiff when we want to be stiff and not be stiff. At other times. So basically, profiling these guys and looking through, you know, toe to head, head to toe, whatever, where is the issue? How can we get it more optimal? And then if we have, you know, something specific pop up, then we'll manage it as needed. But generally, we're just trying to move everything to a more optimal place.
0: Man, if you're listening to this podcast without the video, you're not seeing my smile go ear to ear. I love that answer. I totally love that answer. So Based on what you just told me, I'm really quite curious as to where you get your information because there's a few associations, organizations, or institutes right now that are on the top of my head going, I bet he studied with them. You already mentioned PRI, so we, we can check that one off the list. Where else? Because this is not found, unfortunately, in the essentials of strength and conditioning. This is not found in athletic training and curriculum in school. This is something that you must learn outside the parameters of the traditional conventional approach that is being done right now. And, and what I mean by that is you're looking you're looking at all areas, integrated mass uh, management, integrative force production through lever systems of the body. You're not talking about Inhibition or facilitation of muscles, weak, short, anything like that. You are looking from a biomechanical standpoint, from the nose to the toes and back again. How? Where did you get this?
1: I think the biggest um, kind of biggest change to me philosophically was when. So I, I'm I'm the type of guy that I I kind of I, I fall down the rabbit hole when I find something I like. So um so what really changed me was was I was a big Louis Simmons guy um and then also a big Buddy Morris guy and so both of them would always reference all the different people that they would read and so one of the people that Buddy Morris referenced a lot was Charlie Francis so Charlie Francis when I started reading his books that's when I was like that's who I want to be right there and and that's one of the things that I think was kind of I found because I was a When I was at ATC first, I I didn't like being ATC. It was boring. I didn't feel like I was contributing to wins. I I felt like I was just there for when something went wrong, right? And so that's why I switched to being a strength coach to begin with. And then once I was a strength coach, you kind of go back the other way. Because now, once you get in an environment like this, where it's it's different than when you're working in high school and you're just, you know, someone gets hurt, they come in, you evaluate, you take whatever you rehab and you and you go because you have a million athletes and that's what you have to do. Um, you know, then you then you start getting around, seeing people, you know, do soft tissue work and, and kind of make mad, magic happen on the spot where it's like, man, I couldn't, we've been sitting here foam rolling for freaking two hours and I've gained one degree of range of motion and this guy just touched him and it, he gained 20 degrees like that. Like, <laughs> I want to do that, right? So, so Charlie Francis was like the first person that kind of married that in my head and was like, oh, you know what? I could do that. Cause Charlie Francis was a great track coach but Charlie Francis was also a great weight room coach. And he was also a great therapist. You know, he taught himself to do all those pieces so he could be a one-stop shop for his guys and take care of everything altogether. And then once once you get to there, like it all just kind of makes sense because you you see this thing in the weight room you see this limitation you're like man why can't this guy get it you put him on a on a table you isolate that and you see it again now you narrow it down to okay it's probably you know this muscle this capsule whatever let me see what happens when i work on it all right now let me try it again oh my goodness it's fixed and so um so that was like really a, a big turning point in just the way that i thought was was reading you know the principles of charlie francis and all that stuff um that direction, and then that sent me down different routes. And and you know, when I was at Florida State, we had, um, I really wish I could. Oh, uh, Doug Kachian come in from uh, Resilient Performance, and he's a big he's he's a big PRI guy. He was really really helpful in that. He took PRI, dumbed it down into just a couple key points, and then taught us you know more less from a, a philosophical standpoint and more from a from a, what would you actually use on a day-to-day basis? So that kind of got me started down that road. Um, then I went and took a couple of PRI courses. Uh, right now, I'm actually doing Connor Harris's biomechanics course, and I'm moving extremely slowly um, in that one, but but I, I do like it a lot. Uh, and what's but, that
0: involving when you're saying biomechanics, where are we talking?
1: So Connor Harris's course, he, he's, a lot of it's very PRI based. based. Once again, it's, it's a doing a good job of of kind of, I mean, PRI, you got all those courses that take hours and hours and hours and days and days and for him he's he's kind of once again per, compressing it into something a little bit more digestible from an application standpoint of what would you use, you know, I see this issue. Where should I be looking, and then what are the tools I would use to correct it and, and kind of just going down that course for for many different things. Um, so so he's another one that I, I like the way that he explains stuff I like the, the course so far um you know I was actually watching his videos on YouTube before I realized there was a course so so a lot of his his stuff his information that I thought was really good um those would be some main things I mean like like I took the TPI course TPI actually was like pretty decent when it came to if you approach it with that same frame of thought sure um because of the fact that now you were connecting the swing, the swing to a physical fault. That was back when I was working with golf. Um, so that was helpful. Also, working with track and field, I felt like was an incredibly helpful thing for me. Um, not just from, for one, working with the coaches was, was huge, because I, I believe track and field coaches are really just strength coaches that know a lot more about one side of the spectrum than we do. And so you, but you can,
0: can also dive into gait mechanics, too.
1: Exactly. You can talk to talk about gait mechanics. And, and they're looking at things through a very similar lens to what I think we should be looking through. Um, but also the other thing about track and field that I love and, and swimming also to a degree, but but a little easier with track and field is it's the ultimate test retest of strength and conditioning. Like if you do something well and someone runs faster then it worked, if you do something and someone runs slower or gets hurt it probably did not work so you know you have like every week throughout track season you have a great test retest right there available for you don't need force plates and you know a million different things technological things You, you have the clock and that or you have you know the distance that they're throwing or jumping or whatever to tell you is what i'm doing working or is is it not so um i think that was that was helpful for me just working in that environment for a while because it, it really let me hone in on some things that were, you know, maybe some things that I need to throw out because they're just not not as useful as I thought they were, and then also, you know, what are some things I can incorporate that I can I can steal from these coaches and I can learn from these coaches about, you know, making people better. So,
0: and then are there any approaches in regards to manual therapy, soft tissue work, you know, uh, aside from the sports massage, Swedish, the the typical stuff? Are there approaches within that? realm that you have gravitated toward by applied kinesiology or whatever
1: a a lot of I mean generally it's it's a lot of ART um okay you know myofascial release uh and another one that I've kind of been messing with I'm I'm not sure I would call it manual therapy but um we had a a guy come in from uh dynamic contraction therapy which is an interesting an interesting way to look at a couple of things. So I've been dabbling in that a little bit, trying to learn some shiatsu um, hmm. as well. And uh, th- those would probably be the the primary the primary things I use on the table with, with people most, I'd say. Oh, and then also uh, in in um, in Sacramento, Jazz introduced me to joint pumping, and that that has been super useful for a couple specific areas. So. Um, I actually need to get better resolution notes from him if he's listening, um, yeah. so I can read through them some more. But uh, but we did some of that in second, and I definitely saw some some very useful uh, results from that as
0: well. That's beautiful. Uh, so you know, just going down the road. Well, I'll get t- two questions. I kind of like to close up with one for the aspiring strength coach slash. Athletic trainer, and for that matter, slash physical therapist that's interested in getting into the realm of professional sports. What kind of advice would you give?
1: Um I'm, I mean, I think it's the same advice as as I'd give anybody trying to get into to any area of this. Um, you know, it's a very a, a very internship driven profession. Um, the big thing that I would say that you know i I do think that it was great for me to take the path I did. I think the path I, I took was what made me who I am, but at the same time, um, it was really slow. I mean, this is this is year like 11, 12 for me. So, and and I didn't, you know, get where I wanted to be until five years ago, really. So spent a lot of time doing what I didn't really want to do to get where I wanted to do, be. Um, so one of the advice is if I can go back and tell myself, like I always knew it, it was basketball. Basketball is the reason that I, I do what I do. I don't care. I'm, I always tell people, I don't really love the weight room that much. Like I'm not, like I do, but at the same time, that's not why I'm here. Like I, I wouldn't love it if I wasn't doing basketball. I'd be like, oh man, I'm going to work, but I don't go to work right now. Like I'm, I'm having a ball. So the biggest thing I always tell myself is, you knew it was basketball all along. Don't work with anybody else. Just like stay with basketball. So when I, when I was an intern at Georgia Tech, And I was um, working under Mike Buley there. Like a lot of times I wonder about how the story would be different now if I had just stayed with Mike um, instead of taking my job at Florida State and and leaving basketball entirely. Because then for the next four or five years, I couldn't find a job in basketball at all. So what I would say is if, if you can like try to intern, if you want to be in basketball, intern with basketball. If you want to be in football, intern with football. Get in that, you know, kind of get in that that pathway and then stay there and don't go too far away. I I think it can help you develop your skills to go away. But if what you're trying to do is get there quickly, then then just know you're you're taking the long route. Now I think without track and field, I wouldn't be here because like jazz wouldn't have been interested in me. But at the same time, you know, if I wanted to get to at least the G League quicker, I think I could have got there a whole lot quicker if I had I never left basketball. So, um, but yeah, intern, like, especially I would say if you're in college, like take advantage of the fact that you have strength coaches right there. Don't waste four years while you're in college going to college, like spend your four years, go intern in the afternoons, in the summer, whatever, like get, get in with your strength coaches there. They're right there already. And then when you get out of college, if you if you spent four years interning with these guys, like you've got a great chance that you can go get a GA ship instead of being like the rest of us where I got my first internship after I already had a master's degree. So that's a lot of wasted time that, you know, you could, have you could have been learning. You could have been getting better. I talk about experiential knowledge. You could have had actual experiential knowledge under your belt. And it's all it does is take a couple hours out of your day, you know, while you're already there. We all know in college, you got extra time. If you don't play sports, you have extra time for sure. So like use it, introduce yourself to the strength coaches tell them that's what you want to do introduce, you know introduce yourself to ATs tell them that's what you want to do and then be around and then you know those are the people that are going to help you get started and, and help you get where you want to get later on down the road
0: okay and then that feeds me right in like you almost knew what I was going to ask next later right down the road where's Brandon Joyner like are you going to aspire to be the the high performance director, uh, the lead performance director of an NBA team, whether it be Dallas or elsewhere, I know you're you're not going to work because you're you're loving what you're doing, which is a blessing and uh, that uh, a gift that not everyone is granted in their lifetime. But you know, somewhere down the road, whether it's five or eleven years or whatever it is, what are you aspiring to?
1: Um, honestly, I, I have the job I want to have. I mean, I I think that like I could be a head somewhere or a director somewhere and, and do fine with it, do well with it. Um, it's not necessarily something that, that I need though. Um, my biggest thing is I want, I've, I wanted to be in a position, like I said, I wanted to be Charlie Francis. I wanted to be somewhere where I could focus in really, really hard on whoever I'm working with and work with a reasonable amount enough of people that I could fully, you know, open the bag and, and do everything with these people and do everything for these guys. And then I wanted to win. And so I'm here in Dallas. We're good. I, I work with, you know, three or four guys. I deep dive with those four guys and I do a really good job. I have bosses that are great. I've coach coaching staff. That is great. Like I'm good. Like as soon as, as soon as my family gets moved in, you know, I'm, I'm down here for the long haul until, until they get rid of me. So whatever that may be, you know, whether it's in 10 years my boss retires and he wants me to be the new boss cool. But you know, as long as i'm you know as long as I'm paid fairly, my job is good, the city's good, and my wife and daughter are happy, then i'm I'm good. i don't I don't need much else.
0: <laughs> uh, that's fabulous, Brandon, really, honestly, it's so good to hear. Uh, and I, I hope that it just continues on for you. So let's just say, you know, some people want to be following you, whether they're Mavericks fans, NBA fans or they're just wanting to to get a better understanding uh Instagram, like LinkedIn, how how can they reach you? Do you have your own website? How does that work?
1: Um I guess out of everything Instagram is probably my most active even though I'm barely active. Um but it's Instagram is b 133 Um That's probably yeah, that's that's probably the best best way. very occasionally I'll post. Um but I haven't posted much. I'll, I'll post my story every now and then, but it's usually car stuff. Oh. Usually car
0: stuff. All right, you're a car, you're a car nut. No problem. I'll, I'll put the Instagram tag down in the descriptions as well as uh, just looking into the Mavericks organization, which I want to thank them, by the way, for being uh, allowing us to have this conversation too. And just a thank you for really just being open, honest, and and completely willing to, to have this conversation. This has been great awesome well thank you for having me on it's been fun well that's it for another episode of zealous podcast next week you got it i'll be having another pro on just like brandon who i can't thank enough for coming on and sharing everything he has and as well as the dallas mavericks organization for allowing this to occur you guys have yourself a great week if you haven't clicked the subscribe button yet what are you thinking come on click it and we'll talk to you later